Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Chapel Messages podcast, a ministry of Emmaus Bible College. Each episode is taken from a chapel message given here at Emmaus. For more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. Well, good morning. And welcome to all, both visiting and regular here to Emmaus Bible College. Sermon I've titled this morning may come across as a little odd. The questions of God. I mean, just as we heard earlier, it's usually the other way around, isn't it? It's usually questions we have to God. We don't think a lot about the questions that God himself poses, but it's exactly what we see in this passage. And questions serve a number of different purposes. Sometimes questions are a means of uh, seeking information, trying to understand what's unknown. Like questions from my kids, like, Dad, why do we celebrate Easter? Oh, we celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord. It's more than just bunnies and chocolate. We celebrate Christ. Or, Dad, how do you grill a good steak? Oh, son, come hither to me to the hearth of the fire. (laughs) Seasoning and preparing and getting the flame just right to the perfect temperature, letting it rest and enjoying. I I like to tell that kind of information. Or when my kids come to me and say, Daddy, where do babies come from? Uh, I answer and I say, you want some steak? (laughs) Sometimes questions are not really to gain information. Sometimes questions are meant to create a response, to to help the person that's being asked the question. Like when my daughter brings me a painting, and I take that, and I, I look at it, and I look at her, and say, oh, what did you make me? I know exactly what she made me. I just want to rejoice in that, right? When my son breaks a dish, the pieces are scattered there on the ground, and I look at it, and I go, no, what did you do? <laughs> kind of know exactly what he did. <laughs> or when I see my wife, and I smile at her, and I lean in, and I whisper in her ear, and I say, hey, how you doing? <laughs> are not so much for my good at that point. They're meant to elicit a response. And so when God comes to Adam and Eve at this point in the story in Genesis 3, he asks some really profound questions, not for his good, but for their insight. The section in Genesis 3 comes on the heels of the majesty of God's creation in chapters 1 and 2, and also on the catastrophe of the fall of humanity in verses 1 to 7. Verse 8 notes how they heard the the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. So God calls out to Adam in this interesting question. Where are you? Now again, this is not a question for the benefit of God. God did not misplace Adam like a forgetful grandfather misplacing his reading glasses. Adam and Eve were just here a second ago. Did you see him? I can't find all the oxen free. Where are you guys? 
No, 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 no. God is not unaware of where they're at. This is not God asking a question for his benefit, but to draw out understanding on the part of Adam and Eve. This is, at its heart, not a question of location. This is a question of relation. This is not about their position of geography in the garden, but more importantly, it's about their position in relationship with God. Because one of the first effects of sin in our broken relationship with God was quite clear from the first day. He told them, if you eat this fruit, you will die. And a life apart from God is death. Because understand, that's not how this story started, right? The story of God and humanity doesn't start with the bad news in Genesis 3. No, it starts with the good news of Genesis 1 and 2. It starts with humanity walking with God in cooperation and friendship, which is why this question and Adam's answer, if you look at the text, is so devastating. Look what Adam says to God's question. I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Where Adam and Eve used to once walk with God, the results of sin have placed them and us in hiding. Like a fearful dog cowering from an abusive owner, we would rather hide in shame than walk in glory. Where Genesis 2, if you remember, at the end of Genesis 2, there's this really fascinating ending, almost quizzical where there's this declaration made that they were both naked and not ashamed. <laughs> Do you know that most of our children's Bibles have kind of miseducated us in some ways? You know what I'm talking about? Those children's Bibles that have those little pictures in them every once in a while? And if you've ever seen those children's Bibles where you go to Genesis 1 and you see the creation, and if you turn the page, sometimes there's a picture of Adam and Eve there before the fall. But do you know what I'm talking about, that picture? where there's that strategically placed branch right about here, right? There's some animals in that picture right about here. And you know why the artist does that, because on this side of the fall, outside of the garden, nakedness is shameful. It's a, it's a reminder that once what was joy and pleasure is now a, a, an indicator of brokenness and shame. So God asks another question. Who told you you were naked? Where that first question gets to the issue of relationship, the second question gets to the issue of authority. The admission of Adam in recognizing his own nakedness provides the question for this second question. Namely, who's giving you this information? Who's providing you with this insight? Who are you listening to? Who is facilitating your understanding of the situation? Who is your authority? <laughs> the truth is, Adam and Eve have already communicated who their authority is. It's them. By taking that fruit, they are saying to God that we are the authority. 
We are the ultimate arbitrator of truth. We have the final say in the matters of good and evil. And they, like we, stand before God with a clenched fist of defiance and say, my will be done. The reality of sin is not just our broken relationship with God, but the broken relationship is a result of our unwillingness to submit to his authority and his word. This, this sin breaks relationship, but this sin is a result of not listening to God. Which leads then to this final question. What have you done? Adam, in response to the second question, if you remember... After God asks, who told you? Have you eaten the fruit that I commanded you not to eat? Adam, instead of using this as an opportunity of repentance, throws his wife under the bus. <laughs> um, uh, Eve, the, the woman you gave me. And don't miss that, by the way. Did you see how he said it? The woman you gave me. <gasps> this is like essentially blaming God for this situation. This is like one of my kids, when I tell them again, I, I, I don't want you eating on food on the couch. And then they go and eat food on the couch. And when I confront them on it, and I say, dear child of mine, why are you doing that which I've, not, which I've asked you not to do? And they say to me, well, dad, you gotta remember, uh, you're the one who bought the couch. <laughs> Come hither to me, child. <laughs> That's not a good answer, right? After Eve throws her under the bus, she, God then turns his question to her, and he asks her, what have you done? See, we often look first to the actions and behaviors of people, and God sees our behaviors as a symptom, an underlying reality of a greater truth that we have failed to trust him, leading to these behaviors of sin. And so enough, Eve, like Adam, instead of using this as an opportunity to repent, she reflects and redirects. The, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The questions of God, instead of allowing these questions to guide them and provide them an opportunity to repent, these questions show us how far they and we have fallen from God's holy standards. And the, the details of this story are significant, and we don't have all the time to go through it, but some interesting things for me come to, to, con to consider. The story starts with fellowship. Genesis 1 and 2 is in the context of relationship, and so the devastation of when this unknown character, this serpent, starts talking to them, that they don't know exactly who is, deceives them, and they distort and disobey the word of God. And so understandably, when they eat that fruit, their eyes are opened. But look at what their eyes are open to. It's open to their nakedness and their shame. And so the reality is they no longer walk with God. In fact, the result is cursings 
on Adam, on Eve, even on the serpent. Banishment from the garden, and a guard is placed to protect them. Uh, an angel with a flaming sword, lest they try to seek entrance again. The questions of God reveal some devastating truths. Which is why I'd like you to turn to Luke 24. If you've noticed this little symbol behind me, this, this is the passage where we here at Emmaus Bible College get our name from. Luke 24 is, is on the heels of Jesus' life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And if Genesis 3 is a series of questions by God to highlight the devastating effects of the fall, then the questions we see here in Luke 24 from Jesus are used to highlight the glorious purpose of the gospel. This is as the women are recalling their witness in the earlier verses to the apostles. It says there in the text, while they were walking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he says this to them. What is this conversation? This is not a question of Jesus to discover the events of the day. If you didn't know, he was involved in them. Jesus knows exactly what's going. He knows exactly what they're talking about. And so this is not a question to gauge their cognitive understanding, but a question to gauge their heart understanding. Because look at their response. Look what the text says. And it said, they stood still looking sad. Their perspective of the recent situations was not a cause of joy and rejoicing, but a cause of deep and profound sadness. Their estimation of the recent events was found in sadness. In fact, he goes on to say, one of them named Cleopas says, are you the only one, the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know these things that have happened here in these days? You know what essentially he says to Jesus? Duh! Like what? I, do you not know what's going on here? The response of the disciples on this road to this third party highlights in their estimation that the situation is dire. Their answer and their emotional demeanor show how lost they really are in light of the Lord that they were serving, whom last they saw was on a Roman cross. So, Jesus responds with another question. Uh, what things? Sound like I almost sounded like Bugs Bunny there for a second, right? What's up, Doc? Listen, Jesus knows exactly what is happening here. In response to the disciples' answer of, duh, Jesus essentially says, I don't know. But remember, Jesus is not unaware. This question is not designed to seek information. This question is designed to show them where their faith is. Or in this case, perhaps their lack of faith. Jesus knows the events. Jesus knows their hearts. But he asks this question to draw out of them a better understanding of how to respond to these situations. And so they give him the answer. 
concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was prophesied mighty in deed and word before God and the people, how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. <sighs> Can you hear the heartbreak in that response? But we had hoped. They believed great things about Jesus, a mighty prophet, but when he's condemned to death, well, we had hoped. It's an understandable pain that they and perhaps us feel towards God in our lives. We had hoped it is a cry to God in recognizing the ways that we think life should be aren't matching up to the way things are. The loss of hope when life is hard. The struggles continue to mount up. The, the loss of hope when individuals disappoint us and when relationships break. The loss of hope when we see entire nations fall under evil regimes. The loss of hope when we witness the abuse of little children. The loss of hope when parents have to put their own child into the grave. When that child didn't even have a chance to live. But we had hoped. So Jesus responds out of the most loving and compassionate way to speak directly to their pain and hopelessness. He says to them, Oh, foolish ones! Now, I stand before you here today as a professionally licensed therapist with advanced degrees in counseling and psychology. And I'm here to say to you that when I usually counsel with people who are depressed and hopeless, my first words to them are not usually, oh, foolish ones. Did you hear Dr. Matthew's practice went down? He's not seeing clients anymore. Why? Oh, he insults people all the time, right? <laughs> But make no mistake, while that's not my usual way of dealing with it, it is not a mistake on the part of our Lord. The, the, the same Lord who is meek and mild with a woman at the well is able to be clear and brutally honest with these disciples. Because look what he does. Jesus' response to them is meant to deal with the slow hearts they are dealing with. Oh, foolish ones and slow of hearts to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? That's the third question. And this is not a question uh, that needs much of an answer. This is a rhetorical question that is clear. Was it not necessary? The answer is yes. And so he does the best thing he can to help them see how it was necessary. And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he shows them the things concerning himself. What a wonderful answer. 
as he goes through the passage in Isaiah. And he says, see that? That's the suffering servant. And he, and he goes through the Psalms and he says, see that? That's the rejected king. <laughs> he probably even goes back to Genesis 3 and he says, see that? That's where the seed is promised. And that child will crush the head of the serpent and it will bruise his heel. God's plan has always been that to get the crown, it has to go through the cross. It's always been necessary. And so as he plans to move ahead, they invite him to a meal. He sits down. They break bread. Their eyes are opened. And this passage, please don't miss this. I believe is it meant to be a, a mirror of Genesis 3, that we can put them up beside each other and see the questions of God and the questions of Jesus to show us some wonderful things. How both start, one with fellowship, one with broken fellowship. How they both talk with an unknown character. One is Satan, but the other one's the Savior, but unknown to both parties. How one distorts and disobeys the word of God, but how the others get to see and savor the word of God through Moses and the prophets. And they both eat something. <laughs> Did you see that? And when they both eat something, the eyes of both of them are opened. Now for Adam and Eve, they're opened to nakedness and shame. But for the disciples, they're made aware of suffering and glory in ways that they had missed. Whereas before Adam and Eve don't walk with God, this stranger who we know is Jesus comes and walks with them. And the result of the garden being cursings and banishment and protection, well, the result here is heartburn. <laughs> Look what it says in the text. As they are conversing about this, they say to each other, did not our hearts burn? Listen, I, I have the VP of, of enrollment and advancement here, so I'm going to make a, a, a plea. I've been trying to get Emmaus to use a, a slogan, a logo, if you will, that I think would be really good based on this verse. I think it could really sell. I think all of you would buy this in spades, knowing that, yes, it's the things concerning himself, but I really think we should develop this out. You want to see a picture? Here's a t-shirt. Emmaus Bible College, causing godly heartburn since 1941. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, we got t-shirts, we got mugs, we got hats, we got frisbees, I mean, even books. And if you want to look cool, get these sunglasses, friends. All right? Because here's the point. This heartburn that God creates, that Christ creates, is because he shows them through the word. He shows them the glories of a Messiah who suffers, but is still in glory. He shows them that what was lost in the garden is now restored through the cross. 
And as one commentator puts this, while Genesis 3 describes the Bible's first meal, a meal that subjects creation to bondage and decay, Luke 24 is the first meal of the new creation. And it causes some godly heartburn. This is what we want for you guys. We want these questions of God to help you see something about yourselves. Ultimately, though, we want you to see that these questions are really about him. The questions of God show us the answer of Jesus. How the brokenness and rebellion and the shame that we inherited from our first parents find their answer in the hope, the gospel of Jesus Christ. These questions, both to Adam and Eve and to these two individuals on the road to Emmaus, highlight many things. But for us here today, may we rejoice that we're on this side, on the road to Emmaus, so that we can see these questions pointing us to him. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and are thankful for the hope we have in Christ, the hope that was lost in the garden, but was restored through the cross. We thank you, Lord, that we can now on this side, we can dive deep into your word and like those disciples, see the things concerning himself. The very reason why this institution for the past 80 years has sought to be faithful to that call in everything we do, in every program, in every dorm, in everything we do here at Emmaus. May we proclaim the things concerning him. Thank you that all our questions find all the answers in Jesus. In his name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Chapel Messages podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu partner.